The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Well, praise the Lord, and uh, glad you're here tonight. Take your Bibles with me. Let's go to Luke chapter 14. And I've been teaching a series of lessons. started quite, quite some time back, uh, teaching every other week as I do. It, it takes a long time. It, it took me a, a long time to get through this series originally when I taught it to our auditorium Bible class uh, nine, ten years ago. It's going to take twice as long to get through it this time because I only, only teach every other week. And, um, but we've been talking about the marks of success and, uh, we looked at, we looked at four men who, who, who bore characteristics of these, of these qualities that are necessary for success, things such as obedience and faith and determination, commitment and, uh, uh, these things and courage. So, and, and then, uh, Sunday morning we actually looked at, um, uh, contending for the faith. Faith is the foundation of, of our Christian life, our Christian walk. And, and we looked at contending for the faith. And, and one of the things I wanted to, to get across Sunday morning, and I hope I was successful at that, is that contending for the faith doesn't mean we're argumentative. It doesn't mean we're, we're, we, uh, we're uh, unkind or, or cruel to people. The Lord admonished us. Jesus Christ himself admonished us to live, dwell at peace with all men. And, and, and certainly as you examine the Lord's life, you don't find the Lord contentious. Now, there were times when the Lord had to take a firm stand, as we know. Um, he, he didn't hold back. He didn't bite his tongue when he was exposing the false doctrines of the, of the Pharisees. And certainly we should not bite our tongue when it comes to preaching the truth. And shame on those preachers out there that would, that would deceive people. So, you know, if they don't want to have mud slung at them, then they ought to not be... Uh, doing the things that, that deserve it. Um, but we did see that from Jesus. We also saw that he made a cord of whips and, and he uh, chased the money changers out of the temple. And that speaks of the purity of the house of God. And we should, we should uh, be determined to, to, to keep the house of the Lord in, in good, good order and, and those things. So there will be times, there will be times when we do have to be, we have to contend, but Never a time when we should be contentious, when we should be hateful or, or cruel or, or, or unkind. I mean, over the years, I've known, I've known preachers and I've known ministries that sought to harm other churches. And I'm not talking about cults. I'm not talking about false churches. I'm talking about churches that were founded upon truth. Yet I've known some, I've known some, of, these, some of these people who tout themselves as fundamentalists fundamental Baptists who are, who are very, very hateful, very cruel, and w- would rejoice greatly in seeing the demise of another church. So that's not what the way we're to be. And that's not what that means when, when James told us to contend for the faith. That's not what he was talking about. As we stated Sunday morning, the real, the real contending for the faith takes place inside of me. It's me battling my flesh and, and the lusts of my flesh and the spirit of of iniquity and all the things that dwell within me. I must battle these things and, and I must battle them so that I can um, go forth with the gospel and, and be a witness for Christ. And so that leads me into the section of our study that we're going to look at tonight. 
And that is the cost of discipleship. The cost of discipleship. Um, we're going to talk, we're going to begin this, this tonight and, and look at a few things. Let's look at Luke chapter 14 together. And look, look beginning at verse number 25. And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Let's pray before we go any further. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the wisdom and truth that we find in, in your word and the, and the encouragement and the strength, the guidance and, and, and just so many things about your word that makes it literally the most important thing in our life. As Job said, more than his necessary food. So help us tonight to study, teach us what you would have us to learn. And we ask you to bless this time we have together in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Pastor did send an email to Brother Gary and asked that I tell everyone that he misses us and, and he's looking forward to being home. He's preaching tonight, so uh, I'm sure he's excited about that and looking forward to that opportunity. So, uh, Sunday morning, we looked at the struggles we face in this Christian life. We discussed both the internal as well as the external struggles. Uh, and, and how that we must earnestly contend for the faith. Now, tonight I'd like to continue that section of the study by looking at the cost of discipleship. Now, there are two questions tonight that I'm going to pose and attempt to answer uh, concerning this matter of the cost of discipleship. As I said a moment ago, uh, we like to fancy ourselves as disciples of Christ. And, of course, the term disciple of Christ simply means a disciplined one, a disciplined believer. So if we're going to be a disciple, then, then we're going to have to be disciplined in all of the different facets of, of our Christian life. But we read here just a moment ago in Luke chapter 14 that a great multitude was following Jesus. The Bible doesn't tell us how large that great multitude was. Um, we tend to believe that it was the same group that he fed, and that was 5,000 men. And normally where there's 5,000 men, there's 5,000 women, pretty much. You can, you can figure that. It's probably more women than men, as a matter of fact. And wherever there's 5,000 men and there's 5,000 women, you can bet there's some kids. And how many kids, we don't know. So this crowd following Jesus could have been as large as 10,000 people. And, and the Bible isn't specific, so we don't want to exaggerate. But anyway, let's, let it suffice to say it was a pretty good crowd that was following Jesus. And he turned and he stopped and he talked to them. See, Jesus knew why they were following him. He knew that it was because of their bellies. He knew that it was because of the, of the bread and the fish that he had given them. He knew that it, it was because of the fact that he was healing people. He knew that it was, it was the fact that large crowds were, were gathered to him. Do you, do you understand that once a crowd starts gathering, some people just get, just go along because it's a crowd? I mean, seriously. 
some of our largest churches in America, people will move from across the country just to be a member of that church because it's a big church. And they'll, 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 they'll abandon their entire life and go over here to be part of that big crowd. And, and, and people are funny that way. Man is funny that way. He, he, he's drawn to a crowd. So there's a large crowd here, and Jesus knows why he's following them. And, and Jesus is going to not test them to see so he can see what they, how they feel, because he already knows. He already knew what they believed and how they thought. But he was going to put them to the test in their own hearts. So he turns around and starts giving them some, some qualifications if you're going to be his disciple. Uh, he said, you've got to hate your mother and father. Now, of course, the translation of that word hate could be, could be more directly, uh, you have to love less. Uh, certainly Jesus isn't, admon- isn't condoning you and I hating our parents. How would, that, how would he do that when God gave commandment that we're to honor our, our mother and father? He, he would go against his own nature in that case, and that's not what he meant. He didn't mean it would hate him, but that could very well be the way people took it. And, and he's, you know, he talked about these things, and, and he, he tried to make them in their own minds and hearts examine why they would desire to follow him. So question number one tonight on our study sheets is, what is a disciple? Exactly what is a disciple? Well, allow me to try to answer this question with a couple of points. Number one, being a disciple means to be a learner. To be a disciple is to be a learner. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14, we read, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And here... Paul is reminding Timothy that, that you need to be mindful of the lessons that you learn. A, to be a disciple means to be a learner. Do you know that students in a school are disciples? Did you know that? By definition, they are disciples. They are learning from their teacher. So they are their teacher's disciple. This might be one of the reasons why it's so important that you be careful who's teaching your children. Because they're going to learn lessons from the people that are instructing them. And, and it's also a, a good reason why we should be so selective as to who we appoint to teach. Because they, they are going to present examples. Uh, they teach much more than what they teach from a book, by the way. Uh, their mannerisms, their lifestyle, what they believe, how they, how they behave. These, these are all lessons that children learn. So, but a disciple is a learner. Now, in the Hebrew and Greek culture, a disciple was one who studied under the tutelage of another. The word disciple literally means learner. If one was called a disciple, it was understood that he was a student of someone else. Many today mistake this term disciple to mean a disciplined one. They relate this term to being a mature believer. Yet Christ addressed this matter directly in Luke chapter 10. Let's turn there together. We're in Luke chapter 14. Back up just a little bit. Let's go to Luke chapter 10. And we'll begin reading at verse number 38 from Luke chapter 10. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village 
And a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Now, we just preached on these passages the other day, so bear with me. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. Uh, But one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. So here we see the story of Mary and Martha, and uh, we notice that Martha is very busy. And I will say again here, as I stated already, that it's good to be busy for Christ. It's good to, to, to be active in your local church. Um, you know, some, some sports are not spectator sports. Do you, you ever notice that? Um, golf is not a spectator sport. It's pretty boring to sit there and watch golf, isn't it? Uh, tennis is not really a spectator sport. Uh, now, football is a spectator sport because I wouldn't want to go out there and get myself beat up. Uh, but some sports you have to participate in. I mean, I like to play golf. I haven't played for, I haven't shot around the golf for years, but I enjoy golf. But I don't like to watch it. I mean, it's, what's so exciting about sitting there watching some guy tap a ball 12 feet across the ground and everybody goes, oh. <gasps> It's just not that exciting. Or tennis, you know. It's like watching the clock. I mean, it's just, now, I love, I love to play tennis. I'm not good, but I love to play. And I like to shoot golf. I'm not good in there either, but I like to do it. Um, so sometimes it's, it's good to be busy. And, and, and we need to understand that. Um, I think sometimes here at Berean, we need to be more busy. We've got a lot of things that need to be done around here. And it falls on just a few people to do them. And I, I praise the Lord for our deacon board. They're, they're all busy men. They, they, they carry about much of the work in this church. But, you know, they all have families. And, and they have responsibilities. And, and uh, often their, their time is stretched really thin. I praise the Lord for Brother Gary and, and all the work Brother Gary does. Uh, most people don't have, have no idea how much work Brother Gary does in a week's time. And Brother Gary is not the healthiest of people anymore. And, and he, he's, he, he needs help. We need help around here. Our, our pastor needs help. His wife is sick. He's not exactly healthy either. He's, uh, I keep telling him, you know, he's a hamburger away from, from the grave. And he needs, to, he needs to wake up. But um, we need people to get busy. We need choir members. We need choir members because my voice is going fast and we're going to need some, some tenors. Huh? How many of you guys can hit a high tenor note? Ah, let me hear it. Oh. <laughs> but we do. We need, we, need some, we need some people in the choir. Uh, we need people to help with the landscaping. You know, often I come by on Saturday and I see the same few men out there. And, and these are men that have families and, and other things that they could be doing. We need more people to help. So it's good to be busy. But the busyness of Martha could be, could, could be considered to demonstrate her maturity as a believer. Martha was busy, yes, but also notice that her service to Christ became more important to her than her closeness to Christ. She was, she was a busy person, and, and often over, over the years, I've, I've known Christians who are very busy, but 
we cannot allow the busyness to take place of the closeness. And so we need to, we need to understand that. It's been my experience that far too many Christians today want to be the teacher rather than be the student. But we better remember what the scripture warns. In James chapter 3 and verse 1, we read, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. And Paul, what Paul is saying there is this. Um, we, better, we, we better become learners and, and stop, stop trying to be the master and start sitting at the feet of the master and become the learner and learn all these things. So a disciple is a learner. But then secondly, to be a disciple is to be a follower. It's to be a follower. Now, you may say, well, I know all this. Why are we going through all of this? Well, because if we know it, then we, we wouldn't be the way we are most of the time. Okay? So we need to be reminded of these things. A disciple is to be a follower. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, in this passage of scripture, the Lord is revealing his death to come to the twelve. Uh, then Peter steps forward and declares that as long as he is alive, as long as Peter is around, these things will not happen to Christ. They will not befall him. But in the rebuke of Peter, I notice a very important truth. It is one that the Lord stated in John chapter 13, verse 16. Let's turn there together. If you would turn with me to John chapter 13. And let's look at verse number 16. John 13, 16, we read, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. That's a, that's a, that's a great statement made by Jesus, and one that we need to remember. The problem I see in the lives of many young Christians today who claim to be disciples of Christ is that they have placed themselves before the master. They have put their names, their importance, above that of Christ. You know, do you remember what Paul said? But by the grace of God, I am what I am. You know, Paul didn't, Paul didn't boasting of his importance. He didn't go around boasting of his, of his greatness. Paul was a humble man. And, and Paul lived his entire Christian life, glorifying the Father by his words, by his actions, by his, by his service and all these things. But today there are so many, there are so many of these young people running around the country who, who, who and, and a lot of it is, is due to the, the very thing that we, we find so comforting in life, and that is all the technology we have. You know, life was a lot simpler before Facebook, wasn't it? Huh? I mean, you can, you can, I had someone come to me the other day and said, you know what? I've watched your grandkids grow up right on Facebook. <laughs> and, you know, uh, sometimes we have to be careful with those things because it, it becomes all about me. It's all about me. Do you know what I did today? Do you know, do you know what I did at 9.58 a.m., 9.58 and 20 seconds? Well, I'm in the store now. Well, I'm buying new shoes. I don't, you know, I don't even, I, I, honestly, I mean, I'm just, I don't even have a Facebook account. 
My daughter keeps telling me, I keep telling her, send me pictures of the grandkids. She says, Dad, why don't you just get a Facebook account? Because I don't want all the baggage that goes along with it. I just want pictures of my grandkids. I don't want all that other stuff. But we need to learn to, to, to be a follower. We need to learn and remember it's not all about me. It's not all about me. And, and that's what the Lord is trying to teach us. The servant is not greater than his Lord. Neither is he sent greater than he that sent him. Uh, what is the formula for success in this matter? Well, Matthew chapter 11 tells us in verse 28 and 29, Jesus states, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take your, my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. We're just, we're just to follow the Lord. Jesus said, Come unto me and, and, and lay all your burdens on me and take my burden upon you. That, that's, that's the offer that Christ makes. You give me your burdens, and I'll give you mine. And Jesus said, my yoke is light and easy. What's the Lord's burden, by the way? Can anyone tell me? What's his burden? The salvation of the lost. That's right. The gospel is the burden of the Lord. So he says, you come to me, give me all your financial problems. Give me all the worries that, that you feel concerned about. Give me all these things. Lay all these things upon me. Trust me to, to take, help you take care of these things. And you take upon yourself my burden, which is the preaching of the gospel to the lost. Now, let me get personal for a moment. I'm teaching tonight. You're not supposed to get personal when you teach. But I'm going to get personal for a moment. How are you handling the burden of the Lord tonight? How many lost people, how many of you know at least five lost people? When's the last time you witnessed to one of them? Do you think Jesus would have had acquaintance with five lost people and he wouldn't have witnessed to them? Now, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes. But we want to be disciples, right? Right? Well, a disciple is a follower. Jesus said, come to me. Let me worry about how you're going to pay your rent this month. You, you work hard. Go out and do your job every day. Work like you're working unto me. But don't worry about... All these little things. Don't worry about how you're going to pay your rent. Don't worry about how you're going to feed your kids. Don't worry about all these, these things that, that trouble you and concern you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, Jesus said. And all these things shall be added unto you. Jesus said, don't you know that your father knows that you have need of these things? And he, he looks after the sparrow. Not one sparrow falls to the ground without the knowledge of the father. He said, aren't you more valuable than many sparrows? So if we want to be a disciple of Christ, we're going to have to, we're going to, have to be a follower. From, from this, I can see two things. I see first, number one, that we must come to Christ. He says, come unto me. Come unto me. Now, Jesus isn't going to come unto you in, the, in this area of discipleship. The Lord, the Lord is in his place and we are to come to him. We desire to be his disciples. We're going to have to submit. What did, what did he tell Martha? 
He said, Mary hath chosen that good part. What, what part did Martha, did Mary choose? She chose to come to Jesus. Mar- Martha was running all over the house and Mary was right there where the Lord was. Got to come unto Christ. And then secondly, we must learn of Christ. We have to learn of Christ. We have to, we have to be that learner. We have to be that follower. That's, that's what a disciple is. Do we think for one moment that we've amassed all the wisdom and knowledge we need and we don't need to be taught anything anymore? I, I've known Christians who behave that way. I've known Christians who, who think that way. I've known Christians who, who think they know more than the pastor. And, and, well, maybe they're not Christians. I don't know. They claim to be. But they sit there in the back, and during the preaching, I see them shaking their head. And, and then when the service is over, they come running up to the pastor to challenge him on what he just said. That's not the spirit of a disciple, is it? What would your high school teacher have done if you came up to him at the end of the class and said, you're wrong, and, and I'm going to show you why you're wrong? What, what would you have gotten on your next test? <laughs> Probably an F. Huh? So we, we need to be humble in, in spirit, and we need to come to Christ, and we need to submit and learn from Christ. Uh, every service we have here, every service, I, I sit in my pew, I open my Bible, and I, I, I desire to learn something. I desire to be taught. And I tell Pastor often in his office, in our private communications, I say, you know, you, you always, you're always teaching me something. Something that I didn't know before. I've been, I've been a believer for 33 years. I've been in the ministry for 33 years. But I don't, I don't know enough probably to fill 20 pages in this book. And that's being generous probably. I could probably put everything I've learned on three pages in this book. Compared to the wisdom that's there. So we must learn these things. So question number one is what is a disciple? And, and we looked at that. Question number two is this. What are the marks of a true disciple? What are the marks of a true disciple? Paul said to, to mark them uh, which are over us. He said to mark them and, and, and to follow them as an example. So what are the marks? What are the marks of a, of a true disciple? Well, let's, let's look at those and then we'll be done. Number one, a disciple bears the mark of salvation. You say, well, that that should go without saying. It should go without saying, but it needs to be said. Because I guarantee you there's a lot of, quote unquote, Bible teachers running around this country that have not experienced salvation. So to be a true disciple, a true disciple bears the mark of salvation in in his life. Acts chapter 8. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? So the eunuch says, well, there's some water right here. Why can't I be baptized? And Philip answered and said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Basically, what Philip said is you can be baptized if you're if you are saved, if you're a believer. Uh, I think our churches in America today, and I'm not I'm not saying necessarily Berean, but I, I think we can't exclude ourselves. I don't think we can exclude ourselves from this from this statement. 
I think that a lot of our churches in this country are populated with unsaved people. Some churches perhaps more than others, some churches less than others. But there are tares amongst the wheat. And I don't think we're any different. Now we strive in this church to to teach truth and preach truth and we strive to, 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 to drive our people to live in holiness and righteousness, but I can't dismiss the fact that it's possible that someone that sits in these pews, maybe not here tonight, but someone that sits in these pews may not be saved. And that's a, that's a fact we have to face. So a person who believes in Christ, and I don't mean believes in the head as we understand, believes in the heart. What did the eunuch say? I believe that Jesus is the son of God. And when Peter made that declaration, what did Jesus say? Uh, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee. When we, when we can boast in our heart that we believe in Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, the, the true living God, that comes from the Father and is evidence of our salvation. So we've got to be careful because not everyone who claims to believe is a believer. Uh, James in James chapter 2.19 says, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. See, the devils have a quality we don't even have. A lot of us in America don't tremble before God. We're, we're not afraid of what we do. We're not ashamed of what we do. Uh, but not everyone who claims to be a believer is a believer. There's two kinds of faith mentioned in the Bible. One is the belief about Christ, the historical belief about Christ, and the other is the personal belief in Christ. So check our hearts. Make sure that we are, are, are what we say we are. Belief in Christ is placing all hope in the person and work of Christ unto salvation. It's like the song we sing. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. I've said it many times. When you come to the point in your life where Christ is all you have, it's then that you know or you learn that Christ is all you need. And, and God, God help us that we don't have to go through those difficult times, but sometimes we do. Sometimes we're a little stubborn. Sometimes we're a little proud-hearted. Sometimes we're a little, a little arrogant. And the Lord has to teach us humility and show us who's really in control. So a disciple bears the mark of salvation. But then secondly, a disciple bears the mark of service. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 1, we read Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Paul says he's a servant. A servant is submissive to his master, is he not? A servant uh, loves his master, at least in the context that we're talking about here. Paul proudly served God. He wore his service as a proud badge of honor. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 17, Paul writes, From henceforth let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul is, when he, when he talks about troubling me, he's talking about uh, people questioning his integrity, questioning his sincerity, questioning his honor. Paul said, I bear in my body the marks of Christ. He says, I've, I've lived my life uh, to, the, to the service of the Lord. And what is he talking about here? Well, more directly what he's talking about when he says, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Paul's day, there was slavery. And slaves were often marked. They were branded with the marks of their master. So that, so that others would know who they belonged to. And, and this is more directly what Paul is talking about. When, when he talks about bearing marks in his body, he's saying, I, bear, I proudly bear the marks of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I, I, I'm, I'm distinguishable from, from, uh, from those around me as being a disciple. What about us? Are we distinguishable as a disciple of Christ? Oh, this is something I tried to hammer into our, when I, when I was teaching the teenagers here, something I tried to hammer into their minds is that we need to be different. We need to look different. We need to talk different. We need to behave different. People, people are so careless today, so, so, so careless to involve themselves in things that may not necessarily be wrong, but they're certainly not right. Paul talked about laying aside the weights, putting off those things that, 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 that hinder us, putting off those things that, that take away from, from, from the Lord's blessings upon our life. I mentioned this Sunday, you know, uh, the Lord doesn't punish his children. I, I, I grow weary of Christians talking about, well, God's going to punish you. No, he isn't. He already did. God punished us on the cross of Calvary. Punishment was there. God doesn't go around punishing his children. He disciplines his children, yes. And, and, and he may remove blessings from us, yes. But, oh, we need to understand so desperately that we need to be different in our behavior and the things we do and, 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 and the way we, we do things. Paul served God regardless of the cost. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he read, we read, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant. In stripes above measure. In prisons more frequent. In deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Uh, thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the, breath, by the, by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the church. Yeah, yeah, but say, wait a minute. Paul was, Paul was getting paid the big bucks, wasn't he? Huh? 
Yeah, man, he had he had the money raking in from all of those infomercials and selling his books and and, and selling his CDs, all of these speaking engagements. Paul was raking the money in, wasn't he? No, he wasn't. Paul had no money. When he came into a town, he had to get a job and he was a tent maker. He'd make tents and he'd, he'd do that just so that he wouldn't have to burden the churches, burden the Christians that were were there. Paul sacrificed. He gave everything to serve. And a true disciple is willing to serve the Lord. He doesn't have to be begged to do something. A true, a true disciple of Christ sees a need in the church and he, he does what he can to meet that need. Now, what about us today? What about you and I? Do, do we sacrifice, truly sacrifice, comparing what Paul says, comparing the life Paul lived? Do we really sacrifice for Christ? I mean, think about it. I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. I'm not trying to shame anyone. I'm simply teaching the truth. Paul said, are they ministers of Christ? In other words, you know what he was saying? He's saying, do they think they've got it tough? Do they, do they think they have it hard? Do they think they're serving Christ? Well, uh, Paul said, let me boast for a minute. Allow me to tell you what I go through to serve the Lord. I tell you, when I read this list of, of what Paul went through, and I consider whether or not I'm suffering for Christ, I, I have to say, not at all. Not at all. I'm going to. I'm going to leave here in a little while and I'm getting an automobile that runs nice for a while. Lord, please. I'm going to go home to a, to a home that has heat in the winter and fans in the summer. I'm going to, I'm going to climb into a soft bed tonight. I'm going to cover myself with a, with a warm blanket. I'm going to sleep, have a, a full night's sleep without fear of having creatures in the night crawl upon me or, or attack me or... I'm going to wake in the morning to a breakfast. I'm, I'm not, going to, not going to go days and days and days without something to eat. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not in danger, at least I hope not. I'm not in danger of having somebody come along and, and beat me with 39 stripes or stone me or throw me into prison or cast me into a ship and take me to a foreign land only to, only to become shipwrecked. What do I have to complain about? What do, what, do, what do any of us have to complain about? Do you realize that anything on this side of eternal damnation is more than we deserve? Look at Job. Job did, Job did nothing. Yet in his darkest moments, what did he say? Though he slay me. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Folks, what are we willing to bear? What are we willing to suffer in order to serve the Lord? That's, that's the biggest question we need to answer. What am I willing to do to serve Christ? But then lastly tonight, number three, a disciple bears the marks of sanctification. A true disciple bears the mark of sanctification. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 through 16, 
Peter writes, But and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. Now, we understand that sanctification of the believer is a work of, the, of, of Jesus Christ himself. It's the work of the Father. We understand that. There's nothing I can do to, to sanctify myself, make myself acceptable unto God. There's nothing I can do. It's all the work of God. It is God that, that, uh, that uh, enlightens us. It is God that saves us. It is God that sanctifies us. We understand that. But what Peter is talking about here is the sanctification of the heart and mind of the believer. It is, it is the one thing that I can do for Christ in my life. It's the, it's the determinate separation of myself from sin in the world. Now, I would not have the ability to do this were it not for Christ. You understand that, don't you? I could not overcome sin if it wasn't for Jesus. I, I can't resist temptation if, it's not, if it were not for Christ. This is, the, this is the way in which we have to escape temptation. It is the righteousness of Christ which we have in us. This sanctification is a dedication of all that we are and all that we have. It is a total commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul stated in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 10, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Paul said, I, I, I've gladly sacrificed, given up everything, just so I can, just so I can serve and know the Lord. And, and this, is, this is what it, a, a true disciple of Christ does. We, we sanctify, we, we commit ourselves, we dedicate ourselves to the Lord. Why do people, why do people forsake the house of the Lord? Well, because they fail to sanctify that time. They fail to dedicate that time. They fail to commit that time. Listen, after my wife and I got saved, Sundays no, long, no longer belongs to us. Sunday is the Lord's day. And it's his, it's his day from the moment I open my eyes till I close them at night. Christians take it, take... I better be careful. There's no, reason, there's no acceptable reason... For us to not be in church unless we're too ill, literally too ill to be there. I remember, and I'll finish with this. I remember we were, we were new Christians. We'd just been saved a couple of weeks maybe. And we started going to Sunday night church. And something happened on a Sunday afternoon that never happened before that and has never happened since then. On Sunday afternoon, we got home from church in the morning. I heard... 
a knock at the door. Now, that happened before. It wasn't the knock at the door that never happened before. But I open the door, and there stands my father-in-law. And he's got, a, he's got a bag in his hand full of groceries. And I looked at him, and he said, we come over for a barbecue. And I said, wow, okay. So we started getting this barbecue all together, and I love my father-in-law. He's, he's one of the sweetest men I've ever known. But any, something that would take me 15 minutes to do takes him an hour and 45 minutes to do. So long story short, at about 5.30, he's finally lighting the barbecue pit. And church starts in an hour or so. And I, I went and told my wife, I said, we need to go to church. She said, well, mom and dad's here. They drove all the way over here. We, we can't just leave them here. So I, I, I walked out of the room and I thought about it, thought about it. And finally I decided, you know what? Yeah, we can just leave them here. And I went in there and I said, look, folks. At the rate it's going, dinner's going to be ready about 830. I'll be back. But I'm going to church. And I got dressed and I went to church. And you know, they've never since then, they never did since then, come to my house on Sunday. Ever. They didn't even talk about it. They didn't even think about it. And I'm not trying to set myself up as, as something special, but I'm telling you, if you don't commit it to the Lord, then you're going to be tempted to use it for something else. I don't think, you know, if someone, I've said this before, if someone came to me and offered me free tickets, Super Bowl tickets, plane, plane ride there, hotel room, the whole shebang, I'd tell them, no thanks. No thanks. Have the game on a Monday night? Maybe. Have it on a Saturday? Maybe. But not on Sunday. I don't think you ought to go to games on Sunday. I'm sorry. I don't think you ought to, ought to do anything on Sunday other than be in the house of the Lord, worshiping him and being an example for the young people. I used, I used to get on some of our Sunday school teachers for that. I'd say, you know, you, you, you go out and you invite these kids to church and they come and where are you? They come and you're not there. What is that telling those kids? Oh, church isn't important. I had Christians tell me, well, you know, uh, I know I was at this sporting event on Sunday, but, you know, I got a chance to witness to some people there that, that weren't in church. I thought, I thought to myself, you weren't in church. And how much, of a, how much better of a witness would you have if you, if you let them know you're not going to participate in a sports event because you need to be in church? I think that's a stronger witness. But we want to be disciples. We want to be considered. We, we, I'm a disciple of Christ. Okay, well, if you are, then start, start acting like it. Like Jesus told the, the, the multitude, take up your cross, follow me. You think Jesus would forsake the temple on, on the Lord's day to go, to go to a sporting event, to go to the Olympic Games in Greece? I don't mean to be disrespectful and the Lord wouldn't involve himself in something such as that, and neither should we. And there are other things, though, by the way, that draw us away from church, isn't it? 
I'd, I'd be lying if I said that in all the years uh, I've, I've been a Christian, I hadn't, there hadn't been things challenge me on Sunday. Lots of things are going to come along to challenge you to miss church. The question is, are you going to give in to them? You see, a true disciple, he sanctifies his time. He sanctifies his possessions. He sanctifies his heart. He sanctifies his mind. He sets them apart and he commits them and he dedicates them to the Lord and the Lord alone. Folks, it's, it's a simple matter. Are we disciples? Tonight, we've pretty much defined what a disciple is. And we've looked at the marks of a true disciple. Now, maybe some of the things that I said you don't like, but I'm only, I'm only repeating what the Lord said. If you don't like them, change. Get, get, on, get on board with the Lord. All right, folks, i got to shut up. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.